0: Welcome to LWDG Pod Dog, the podcast that helps women train their gun dogs and become part of a supportive community. I'm Joanne Perrot, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I'm thrilled to be your host. Our online membership offers expert training, monthly courses and live coaching sessions that empower women to become confident and skilled dog handlers. Join us as we share insights, advice and stories to help you and your four-legged friend achieve your goals. So grab your headphones, sit back and let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Podog. This week I will be talking to no other than the LWDG group expert Gemma Martin all about setting boundaries for gun dogs. Before we begin on our podcast topic, let's start by uh, introducing Gemma. Gem, we haven't done an introduction for a few
1: podcast episodes now. So would you like to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about who you are? Yeah, no worries. So I'm Gemma Martin. I run Whistle & Wag Dog Training in Suffolk with Nikki Kenny. And as you say, I'm one of the LWDG featured, not featured, group experts. Yes, you are.
0: <laughs> um, uh, you're also a really important part of our admin team, making sure people's support requests get to the right place. And we all work as a fab team, don't we? And I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today with boundaries when it comes to dogs, they, they relate across everything in life. Because in the LWDG we have quite, an, quite a good understanding of what each other does what our boundaries are what we can work with what we can't work with do you think with gen dogs um and with all dogs really boundaries are blurred um
1: yeah i i think how we've become with our dogs over the last probably decade has become we treat them more like children don't we and i think that's fine to an extent but only if you give them the same boundaries that we give our children um gun dogs in particular, i think it's more and more common now that obviously the dogs are living in the house you've got yours in the house now haven't you yeah so we're all very good at when we're training <clears throat> sort of saying right we're working on this and X, Y, and, Z, and these are the rules we're going to set but as soon as they come in the house those rules can get a little bit blurred
0: yeah and i think what you've just touched upon there is quite important is not it because if we look at gun dogs first we've got By nature, a highly active, highly driven animal. Um, And for a long, long time, when they breed in, they lived in kennels. They weren't something people wanted in a home as a pet. They were literally something that you would find on an estate. But now we've sort of blurred that line. Uh, An active working animal is now living in the homes. We love them to death, but that drive, that impulse in them, is still very much there
1: yeah exactly they haven't changed and actually if anything i think gun dogs have got more and more drivey over the years because of working tests and trials people want them quicker faster more sort of deranged and, and working um and obviously when they're in the kennels the only boundary they really sort of had to have was just go in there and be quiet and that was a fairly simple rule that they had to follow in the house we surround them with food and people and noises and all sorts of things that can excite them um and quite often we don't give them the same boundaries that they need to sort of be able to settle and be calm in the house Keep it on the theme of getting dogs as well though it's like i see quite a lot where
0: people through no fault of their own have ended up with a working dog that if anybody with some knowledge, even a gentle knowledge of breeding, which would look at their pedigree, they would be like, oh my God, look at the amount of champions, field trial champions. And all those things would indicate to us that the drive in that dog was incredible. If we were looking for it for tests or trials, that's what we'd be looking for. And then somebody has bought this dog as a pet dog, a pet gun dog, maybe never intending on going out on an estate with her, never doing anything like that with her, and then they've suddenly got this sort of competition animal in home.
1: Yeah, no, we're seeing lots and lots more working dogs in homes, and sort of, even to just pet homes, not gun dogs, sort of pet homes, if that makes sense. They're just pets. Um, and then people are quite astonished at why they've got this mental little cocker that's just in circles around their house going i need to do something um, but unfortunately then that's where they get it slightly wrong because they look on the internet as you would on how to sort of keep your working dog engaged and blah blah blah, blah. Um, and all they end up doing is stimulating it all day so it gets toy after toy after toy and it's kept going and going and going. and obviously these kind of dogs will take that all day long because they'd love to be kept active and going and moving and seeking what we often find that is missing is the fact that boundaries around the house have been put in and say actually well when we're in this room i expect you to I do absolutely nothing and relax um, and when this is happening i expect this of you and when this is happening i expect this of you so the dogs just become um really used to having that sort of focus and attention and, and entertainment i suppose constantly so the boundaries are lacking in that and it we're talking about pack
0: and dogs because obviously that's what we do but this sort of boundary blurring is being seen across all dogs and that includes the ones that maybe aren't high drive but they're still not being given the boundaries to work within are they?
1: No no definitely I mean we've been to some houses where the children have got far more boundaries than the dog um the children get told to leave the room and go upstairs and the dog's sat there ripping up a pair of shoes in front of us so um I'm not sure what point it's become acceptable to give our children, you know, healthy boundaries. But our dogs seem to be able to sort of rule the house.
0: <laughs> if you walked into the house and or if you came into my home and my do- my child was running across all the settings and jumping up and down and, and acting in that way, you would be guaranteed. Well, you, it wouldn't have got to that point, but at some point I would say, get down off the sofa, that's not acceptable feet on the floor, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like you said, all those like little things that you teach good manners to a child or hopefully you teach good manners to a child. Um, We don't seem to teach those good manners, which are those boundaries, um, to our dogs.
1: No, because I, th- I think the dogs are viewed slightly differently, that they're just happy to see you. They're just being friendly. And despite the fact they're jumping all over you, licking your face and clean- <laughs> cleaning out your ears and things, it's just... I just don't think people see it as bad manners. It's just how dogs are. That's just how they perceive that they show happiness and friendliness. But most of the time it's uh, slightly over the top. You think about it though, like as we, as we're talking about it, always like our conversations always inspire me,
0: but like, we sort of have this like double standard with dogs. and we go, Oh my God, I can't do anything wrong. You can jump up, I can do all these things. And it's absolutely fine. And then when we talk about, um, You know training we say oh actually it's really intelligent it's it's got a complex training structure where you know we've talked about it in our other podcasts we're waiting for it to give consent so we're asking it for one set of behaviors in our training and we're viewing its uh, capability its mindset one way and then we go back into the house when it's acting like a total idiot and we go oh that's fine because it's just a dog
1: yeah yeah and that that's where we sort of see these blurred boundaries because people like say are really good with their training they'll go out and they'll do their recalls and their sit stays and they'll sit somewhere and give it a bit of patience blah 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 blah. and then as soon as you get home it's like a bit of a free-for-all sometimes that madness though, really that free-for-all madness is madness because
0: again go back to children if children were jumping up and down on my grandparents licking their faces and like pulling at them i would be like stop and stop now you know it would it would have literally gone way over having a calm conversation to them you would stop them because a they would be acting like wildlings but also it had the fact that they would have on my grandparents My grandparents are older and afraid you can't be pushing them around you can't be doing those things so where do you think and i i, I genuinely don't know the answer to this where do you think we all suddenly
1: went the dog can do what it wants i don't i don't know it seems to be something that's happened slightly recently because i remember when i was a kid the dog was very much a dog and we loved him lots and lots and lots and lots but there were certain rules that the dog could do and the dog couldn't do and he knew those rules and he was fairly relaxed about them and blah 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 um but i think because everyone sort of gone into this I I don't like the word fur baby but everyone has their dogs as sort of extra children don't they I mean my dogs are like my children but they have very clear boundaries on what they're allowed to do and blah 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 blah. but I think it's just come because people love their dogs so much and it's almost like they can't do any wrong yeah I agree with you but like the reality of it is
0: boundaries without a doubt have to establish trust they build your bond they're important things not to be um the dictator in the house but putting them in place actually makes your relationship with your dog far stronger doesn't it
1: yeah definitely and if you are training your dog to do other things if you can keep that sort of the boundaries in the house and keep that training moving forward every single day your bond when you go out and your relationship when you go out will be far greater because your dog will it's not a respect kind of thing because I don't want to go into that whole sort of alpha dominance thing because it's not about that it's about having that mutual respect between you and your dog sort of listens and goes oh, okay so that's the rule in here and you go yeah and then we can live nicely together and it's all cool um and the boundaries that we're talking about don't have to be like you know I expect you to go in your crate all day long but it's just little things like actually when I'm working I expect you to settle nicely and if you're settling nicely I might even give you a chew um and like when i'm cooking i expect you're out the kitchen it's just, it's just little things that we can sort of take forward that build that dog's self-control not only at home that you can then transpire to outside as well and if we talk about like, the things you've just mentioned there those boundaries a lot of these boundaries are about
0: safety in some ways aren't they like Go out of the kitchen when I'm cooking because I don't want to drop things on you. I don't want to trip over you. Or when I'm working, just settle so that I know that you're comfortable and you're safe. I can do my work. You can just chill out and then we'll go out and do something else. It's almost a, a, a safety slash healthy living type of boundary.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's no different to you teaching your toddler that actually the oven is really dangerous because it's really hot and you could hurt yourself um obviously dogs aren't ever going to understand it in the same way that a toddler might but setting those boundaries to keep your dog safe will give them that self-control to then stay out the kitchen and keep out the way and then you can make it rewarding for them by like you know telling them that's what you want and that's really good and blah 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 do you
0: think as well though like when we take these boundaries outside then like you just said like the toddler and the oven you wouldn't allow a toddler to run crazily up to other toddlers or other human beings and jump all over them and lick them again you'd go steady up now kid that's not the way we behave when we're outside our dogs we seem to go oh ooh, i can't do anything about this but if it was a toddler you would make sure you could do something about this
1: <laughs> so did your toddlers
0: go and lick people Jay? that was weird <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would stop them, but, you know, you you think about it, it it's are like, a toddler, is almost like a little bit like a, a working gun dog, isn't it? It's that little crazy ball of energy that just wants to run and climb and do all these things and you spend a lot of time with high energy children trying to stop them doing crazy things. We don't seem to see so much of that when you've got a high energy gun dog trying to do crazy things.
1: Yeah. And I think going back to the home, if we sort all that out in the home, the dogs are used to us saying, no, I don't like that, but I really like that. I think as soon as we start doing that outside, they go, oh, okay, I get this. So you don't like that, but you like that. So it's easier for them to sort of comprehend and work through in their brains. Whereas if we just let them do whatever they want at home and then we come out and go, oh, I don't really like that. They go, oh, but usually you let me do whatever I want. So what's the difference here? Um, and it's just that consistency and being fair to our dogs i suppose i suppose if if we're not consistent at home and then we expect them to do a different thing outside that's not fair they don't understand why the rules have changed and why we've changed
0: a lot of us
1: struggle and
0: it is like a daily conversation in our groups it's probably a daily like or a weekly point in podcasts is our abilities or inabilities now to take our dogs to to public places like you and I were talking about this uh, this week we purposefully seek out now we can't take them to the places we used to take them before we purposefully seek out places that are absolutely remote to walk our dogs in hope that we will not come across a dog with no boundaries so even though we you know, we talk about a lot of things in the podcast, like lightheartedly and in an informative way, this lack of consistency, this lack of boundaries is causing a, a UK wide
1: problem, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And like you say, we both said that we don't go to place, places that there's loads of people now, because we're bored of being bombed by these friendly dogs. And I know we spoke about it at length with Sam about, um, is your dog friendly? No, sorry, don't worry, my dog's friendly. Um, And I think it is one of those problems that's going to get worse and worse and worse, and it probably won't be too long before the government have to step in and do something saying well actually dogs aren't allowed off in X, Y and Z. And our number of places to walk our dogs and do things with our dogs will get considerably less because there's going to be more happening with dogs that have knocked people over, that have injured people, that have caused accidents, all sorts of things, so it's not just a case of us being you need your dog to have boundaries it's a safety thing and it's a a public sort of interest thing as well. I also think as well as like we we go into spring
0: farmers understandably you start to get really worried about dogs in places that um, there's sheep there they worry sheep and these dogs who haven't got boundaries and I'm sure most of the people listening to this are like, well, no, no, my dog does have boundaries. Because we we know our clients and I'm definitely sure that they are they are there and their boundaries are there. But when these these little crazy dogs with no boundaries or very little boundaries then go into a, a field full
1: of sheep and lamb, it's a whole different ballgame again, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. If if they've never been told that they can't chase anything or do anything they're like of course it's going to be free game isn't it it's like woohoo that fluffy thing's running so i'm gonna run um and i know that my dogs are fairly all right with sheep and i will still put them on the lead in sheep fields and cow fields and whatever because it's just not worth the risk they're not robots you don't know what's gonna sort of trigger them on a daily basis they might see a lamb move in a special way that they think oh we've never seen one do that before um so, yeah, I think it is down to us as owners to enforce those boundaries, even if, it, if it's as simple as putting those dogs on a lead. Um, and I think boundaries are a very sort of personal preference. Obviously, there's things that everyone would like their dogs to do, like threshold boundaries. So you open the door, dog doesn't run out. People come in your house, dog doesn't jump up at them. Um, but as far as other boundaries, we speak to clients about it all the time. They're like, oh, should I not let my dog on the sofa then? Like, well, it's up to you. If you want your dog on the sofa, your dog can come on the sofa. But little things around that, if your dog doesn't get off the sofa when it's asked, or has a little paddy about getting off the sofa, then I'd maybe rethink that sofa rule. You know, it is those little things that like you were saying, there's like this transfer from inside to outside. Like
0: we talk about the the sheep and the cows because the reality of it is sheep will um abort, cows will abort, and that causes huge problems for farmers. Dogs really just can't understand what's going on sometimes i think at this time because like you said there's little little things running fast making lots of noise lambs etc then you come back in the house and you put dogs that like maybe will not attack children but they bite the children because they are little and they're running fast around the house and then it's like this crossover that we keep on talking about isn't it it's like what's going on here goes on here if the dog won't sit when you ask it to in the house it's not going to when you ask it to sit outside to put the lead on before you go near sheep if it doesn't um if it if it growls at you when you try to ask it to do something in the house like off the sofa it's going to growl at you outside when you try to ask it to do something it doesn't want to do
1: yeah so i think we've got to look at our houses as being that level one that's that baseline that's that low distraction area that we talk about Um, and if they can't respond to our simple sort of cues and commands inside in a sort of really easy fashion and we're not asking them to do anything major just you know sit on your bed or get out the kitchen or all those little things that add up to sort of their daily learning I suppose if they can't do those in the house how are we ever going to expect them to recall from something or leave that dog alone or I don't know do a multitude of things outside when we know that there's 80% of things that they don't listen to us inside.
0: Do you think a lot of it though is lack of follow through? Because I will put my hand up. Sometimes I will say something to the dog and then the dog doesn't do what I say. And I'm like, oh, whatever, because I'm, I'm doing something else. Like for example, you're cooking in the kitchen, you're trying to stop everything from not burning and you're like, ask the dog to go out, it doesn't go out and then you're, you've gone back to cooking, you've not noticed the dog hasn't gone back out or the dog's trapped back in because you're distracted in your home.
1: Do you think it's that lack of follow-through that makes the dog think mm, I'll just do what I want? Yeah it's definitely a contributing factor because dogs will keep trying until they get what they want, <laughs> they're not stupid. Um, so it is down to us as owners to be that consistent sort of voice in their heads I suppose and go ah, ah, no I've asked you to go out and it doesn't have to be nasty in any way shape or form but to make it clear to the dog even if you're taking hold of their collar and go no I want you there good dog um, and then you're always going to put them back if you do it five times and then the dog comes in the kitchen and goes still still the same rule and you go oh do you know what I've had enough the dog will go <laughs> cool I'll sit here then that's where I'd rather be because I might get that bit of chicken that you drop or whatever um, so yeah, it is down to us. And like I was saying earlier about being consistent and fair to the dogs, because that lack of lack of consistency builds confusion in the dogs. They're like, oh, well, what happened now? I, I, you were making me go there a minute ago and now I'm here. So should, I'll, I'll just stay here. Yeah, cool.
0: <laughs> me and Gemma were talking yesterday while we were planning the podcast. And we had a, it, it was like textbook. I wish I'd videoed it. So my dogs are not allowed upstairs in the house. The Other day I took Rex training and left Ella in the house. I felt guilty. I, I, I humanized her. I felt her guilty that she was downstairs on her own. So I said to my daughter, You can have her upstairs on the bed if you want, um, while I'm out. So I broke that rule. I was inconsistent that one time. So we've been consistent forever. Do not come upstairs. One time I broke it. Yesterday, um, my office is upstairs, Gemma and I were chatting and there comes Ella up the stairs. Now, it only taken us allowing her that once for her to now try again. So I said, <laughs> very fast, I won't say exactly what I said, but I said, Ella, down. And basically, in fact, I didn't even say Ella down, did I, Gem? I had a whole like, I gave her a whole sentence, which was really so <laughs> stupid of me. And Instead of just saying Ella down, I was like, Ella, you're taking the mic, get down the stairs. Like she was a human again, shouldn't have done it. No, I shouldn't have done it. Um. But that one, that one inconsistency in my behaviour, that's all it took with that dog to think, I'll try again. And then my humanising it all is what started in the first place. So do you think a lot of us are guilty of that?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I think we're all guilty of that. I mean, I'm sure we've all been there at one point and finished our dinners and had something left on our plate and gone, Sigh. go on then you can have that and giving it to the dogs or whatever. But that like you say that one time that they've actually had something rewarding. So for Ella, that was having lovely cuddles with Meg on the bed, which she obviously found amazing. Um, that was enough for her to go, I'm just going to try that again. I probably know that I shouldn't go up there, but yesterday that was really, really cool. So I'm going to try. Um, and you sort of telling her to get down was probably enough to go. Oh, OK, so it's invite only, is it? And you might have to do it once again, but um, those sort of one-time learning things that we can do for our dogs that if they find them rewarding enough, they will go, I'm just going to try that again. So that's why you end up with three dogs sat around your bowl going, uh, is that going to happen today? And you're like, I've created this. Um, but I think it's being aware of that in ourselves that we're not perfect. We do things that humans do and ruin our training. But as long as we're aware of that, so that when, like you say, Ella does come up the stairs, you don't give her a massive row. You go, uh, come on. Let, let's pop yourselves downstairs because you know that you've said go on you can come up today but not today um so yeah i know i know she knew she was meant to it because she didn't like come bounding around the top
0: step in her usual jolly fashion she sort of like crept for a head round looked at me as if saying, what's the rule today and to be fair to the dog she shouldn't have ne- needed to do that i could have said to me quite easily went away go downstairs even if it'd been like jump on the sofa over actually not allowed on the sofa either, but you know, whatever, just like normally to such a thing. But like you said, we're not perfect. Our dogs are not perfect. So boundaries, whilst they need to be in place, we're not saying they need to be in place so rigidly that it's a criminal
1: offence to break them, are we? No, of course not. Um, like, like I say, it's just down to you being aware that when they're not like super, super rigid or super, super consistent, that there's going to be little moments where your dogs go, shh, can, can I do this? Or And you're just going to have to remind them that actually, no, I'm a bit of a divvy, so I've let you do that today, but I'm not letting you do that today because I'm human. Um, but generally, this is the rule dog, okay? And we work like that as families as well, don't we? We break rules occasionally and do little bits, but that overall consistency needs to be there for safety, for harmonious living with your dogs, um, and just so everyone's sort of clear on where they stand, I suppose, in the house.
0: When you've taken on board a gun dog for like competition, for tests, for trials, or for working on an estate, and you want to you want to do it, at, you know, at a high level, you you have to be a bit more rigid, then, though, because it's a little bit like having. Um, I don't know, a competitive swimmer. You can't have a competitive swimmer and then say to them, well, uh, today you've only got to do one lap. Don't worry about the rest, because that's not important. Because it, the competition is what the competition is. And you can't say to a dog on a state, oh, it's okay if you yap today, but but not tomorrow. Because those are almost boundaries that can't be broken if you want to do things at that level.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. So li- just the little things like I've asked my dog to sit, so I'm not going to ignore the fact that it hasn't sat. I'm going to say, if oh, you just remember that I've asked you to sit in there. Oh, sorry. Um, which is probably why you see the majority of sort of high level field trialers and things, they still live in kennels because there's that easy boundary to keep for their handlers and stuff. There's probably not as many that live in homes with families and stuff because the rules are that much harder to sort of keep in place because there's not only you there's your family there's your kids that might sort of do the odd bit with them that maybe skews your training a bit um so yeah i always speak to my clients and say look as a family you need to sit down and discuss what the rules for this dog are and they're going to be rules that are specific to your family and what you want this dog to do but you're all going to have to be consistent with it because otherwise it's really unfair on the dog that Dad comes home and expects this, and then the kids come home and do this with the dog. So, yeah.
0: The good thing, I think, though, about boundaries for people listening going, oh, my God, my dog's got, like, half the boundaries he should have. Sometimes it's in, sometimes it's out. Is the fact that if you're really consistent for a long enough time, especially if you've got a pup or a young dog, after a certain amount of time, it becomes almost such a habit for them that, that you don't really need to keep on... Um, reinforcing because the dog will see your behavior as okay for their behavior so for example you go you go cook in the kitchen it won't it won't try to come in the kitchen because it already knows that rule exists
1: yeah exactly so p- putting rules in or boundaries in as a puppy is the perfect because they never know that it can be any different so out of my three dogs i've probably had the most boundaries with the youngest so as soon as i start cooking She pops herself over the threshold into the living room and sits there. The other two will always give it a little go. They'll go, shall I? Okay, no. And they know that they're not supposed to be in the kitchen, but they will try it far more than she will, because she's always had that boundary and it's been in place as long as she knows. Do you think as well, though, like, you know, you're talking about the youngest. She's the the dog you had the most recently you
0: if you're only like your first dog or, or even your second you're still learning yourself so a lot of this stuff is woolly by the time you got your third you're like right I know one mistakes not to make because I've made them so you can be far better
1: as a dog trainer do you think that's the, the changes you see as you go through dogs yeah definitely I think every dog will teach you something um and it's taking note of those as you go through your sort of training journey and going, right, I know I've got that little bit off with this dog. I'll work on it, but if I ever do training with another dog, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. Um, so by the time you've got your like 10th dog, it's gonna be this perfect like little dog that never does anything wrong.
0: <laughs> I also think it comes down to like, we talk about it as well, about a bidability. Is that a word? I think it is, but how how bidable the dog is. Like, I, I almost find the some dogs So you you, you give them the boundaries and they're like, yeah, okay, I'll work within them. That's absolutely cool with me. We're fine. And then other dogs, you give them exactly the same boundary in exactly the same way. And they are like, mm, I don't agree with you. I'm going to have another go. And, and you've got to be ready for that. It keeps on going back to what you just said, doesn't it? It's the dog in front of you. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, and luckily for us with gun dogs, they're breeding them more and more and more, what I would call soft dogs, so that you only need to sort of raise your eyebrow at them and they go, Oh, yeah, okay, Roger, that got that. Um, but yeah, you do you do get those ones that are like, mm, why though? Why, why are we doing this? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, the non-bridgeable of the white kids,
0: without a doubt. <laughs> but do you think as well that whilst we're making them softer, when we're talking about boundaries? We, we have to be more clear again because they're so, um, soft and because they, they take everything a little bit to heart. We can't be all over the place with them because, like you said, it's just not fair on them.
1: No, not at all. And if they are those soft dogs, being clear and fair is like sort of paramount because if you're not consistent with them and they make a mistake in your eyes, it's not a mistake in their eyes, it's just because you've maybe not been as consistent as you should have or, or they've pushed it and then you've lost your rag at them, that's just not fair because that's probably going to shut them down and they'll go, Oh, I really don't like that. So if you're just clear and consistent with them and you sort of normal sort of boundary settings, so like I was saying earlier, just taking them by the collar and putting them back where they should be. That doesn't have to be any sort of shouting or grabbing or hitting or anything like that. Just nice, clear boundaries. They will pick them up super quickly. Um, then if we're sort of faffing around going oh, well, sometimes you can come in here. Sometimes you can't. And then we being human lose our rags going, Oh, I've told you a million times to get out the kitchen, but you haven't, you've let them in three out of four times. So, yeah.
0: And that, um, you know, they're losing our, not losing our tempers, but getting frustrated, going from totally okay with it, completely ignoring what they're doing wrong. Whilst they're bouncing on Saturday to, oh get down. Like that huge difference in our behaviour must be a bit of a shock to a dog. There has to be that like middle ground with, with this podcast about it. Like that says, you know,
1: get down, get down. It's, it's, you've got to stay in the same place, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. And we often change when people come round because there's almost like this embarrassment that our dog's being an idiot. So suddenly we become, oh, no, get off the sofa. Oh, no, don't jump up at that. Oh, no, don't do that. And actually the dog's like, well, usually I do this every day. What's your problem today? Um, so, yeah, be consistent with what you expect from your dog in all scenarios. So if you expect them to be nice and calm when visitors around, they should also be nice and calm when you're on your own.
0: Well, lots of people listening to this and probably giggling and can almost put their hand up and say, That's me. I'm not really good on the boundaries. There's loads and loads and loads of training on this within the society um, membership. We've got um, the Hot Mishamza course, which is like our foundation course, covers all the skills, covers all the stuff. Um, You'd absolutely love it. If you haven't done it, please go to it. It is like the best course. For starting out, without a doubt, nine amazing experts all coming together to give you everything you need to train your dog. But there's also ones that we've done, um, like positive reinforcement. Um, well, there's there's millions so over fifty odd courses now for you to dig through. What do you think? That well, like we covered some of the common mistakes to avoid when training. So maybe something like I don't know, letting them carry things around the house, and not giving them to you.
1: Yeah. So. If you've got a ret- if you've got a dog that's going to be retrieving, our general rule with clients is if it picks something up in the house, even if they shouldn't have it, you're going to treat that like it's an amazing retrieve and say, "Oh my goodness, what have you got? Thank you very much." Because as soon as you start chastising that dog for carrying something around, what's it going to do on the field? It's going to pick a dummy and go, oh, "I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to come knee with this," because you might shout at me. It doesn't know the difference between a dummy and your Jimmy chews it's just a different shaped object. And like attention-seeking things, if you're sat there and you're always appeasing your dog with a chew or something because it's irritating you while you're working, it's going to do exactly the same while you're stood waiting for your turn at gun dog training or on a shoot waiting for birds. It's going to sit there and go, uh, what are we doing? Uh, this is really boring. And you'll get squeaking and you'll get pulling around and all sorts of behaviours that maybe you don't want because you've never taught your dog that actually... We can just sit here and do nothing. You don't have to be entertained all the time. So they definitely transfer from the house to the outside. So be aware. (laughs) Be aware, yeah. Big (laughs) signs for us all. Um, And for this, we're
0: covering this in patterns of behavior, which is very much what you need to understand in order to understand the boundaries that you're putting in place. Um, And we did one last month, which was, oh my God, Jen, why can't I remember?
1: What are
0: you talking? The masterclass?
1: Yeah, it was last month's masterclass.
0: Uh, it was learning theory. Learning theory, absolutely. So, the last two, we did learning theory last month, which is absolutely fabulous as well. Those two things, you know, they, they're really starting to uncover for our members why the dog is doing what it's doing and what we need to do to ensure that we encourage correct behavior, not incorrect behavior. And I think we go right back to where we started on in this conversation that's where boundaries need to come from it's from us understanding what we're doing to our dogs
1: yeah exactly and it's really not high tech or confusing in any way shape or form whatever behavior you make your dog repeat is the one that's likely to become the habit if you are really inconsistent with that behavior and sometimes they do it sometimes they don't sometimes they do something else that will never become a habit they'll just try all of them and that's when we get frustrated. If you're listening to this you're thinking, right, how can I
0: like set up, establish clear communications and boundaries with my gun dogs? Make sure you go and watch this month's masterclass. Make sure you're ready for next month's masterclass so that you've got all that in there. Obviously other masterclasses you can pop into and do your best to implement these techniques when you're training your own gun dog. Really think about what am I doing in the house? And how is that affecting what I'm doing on the field? Thank you, Gem, for another amazing podcast. It is absolutely a pleasure to talk to you as always. If people want to find you, find Whistle & Wag, where can they find you? Uh,
1: www.whistleandwag.org
0: Fabulous. Thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. Please let's send us your comments, your, your questions, everything like that. Three times a month we do live Ask Us Anything for our society members. So if you have a specific question about a specific problem you're having, just join up with us and make sure you come along to those and ask your questions. Thank you, everybody, um, for listening this week, and we shall see you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with Joanne Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. If you're interested in joining our supportive community and taking advantage of our group experts' training and resources, please visit our website at www.thelwdg.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And we look forward to helping you and your four-legged friend thrive. Until next time, keep training, keep learning and keep working with your beloved gun dog.